you're able, will you please stand with me for the reading of today's passage? This will be Genesis 37, 18 through 36. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And in looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the, dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, to e sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Good Bible Church. Why don't we turn our Bibles to Genesis 37. And just ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, we're... I'm so grateful for your word. We're thankful for your spirit. Lord, we gather together because we want to be built up and lifted up and encouraged in you. 
And at the same time, Lord, we pray that you're blessed by these songs that we sing uh, from our hearts to you. Uh, we pray today, Lord, that you would be so kind and pleased to teach us from your word, to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to fathom the wonderful things that um, you say in it. And today, Lord, we pray that uh, um, all those things would be the case and that this scripture would come to life in our eyes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just a, a few minutes before he was murdered, in Acts chapter 7, our brother Stephen, a servant of God, a man full of grace, a man full of the power of the Holy Spirit, he was recounting centuries of Israel's continuous rebellious rejection of the unfolding revelation of God's plan of redemption. In the passage that you just heard, Israel's patriarchs, Joseph's brothers, Sons of Jacob in, in Joseph's days were refusing to heed the revelation of God, the revelation given through Joseph's dreams. The revelation God gave Joseph to share with his family was of a coming God-ordained famine, and that Joseph, serving in the will of his father, put in a place of authority by Jacob, his dad, Joseph, a responsible young man, would be the means that God would use to rescue his family as they submitted to him in their neediness and as they came to him in their humility. Joseph's brethren, the patriarchs, they refused to listen. They hated Joseph. They said things like, are you really going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? Even his own dad said, shall I and your mother and your brothers really come to bow down ourselves before you to the ground? Joseph's brethren hated him. They were jealous of him. They re rejected him. And in, in rejecting him, they rejected the very rescue revealed in the revelation of their great God in Joseph's dreams. Again, before they killed him, Stephen says that they were stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, and always resisting the Holy Spirit. After shining the light on the, their rejection of the rescue of Joseph, again in Acts, Stephen fast-forwards in history to after Jacob's family had become a, a nation within a nation of Egypt, well after the famine, he, he fast-forwards to another deliverer. Stephen talks about Moses. He remembers that Moses was 40 years old, and, and he had a heart to identify, in a sense, uh, or be with his brethren, the sons of Israel. And in fact, he saw one of his brethren being mistreated one day by an Egyptian and, and in a very unjust way, as Moses uh, defended him, he ended up killing the Egyptian in the process. And Moses' intentions were for the good of his brethren at the time. But just a little while later, his own brethren came up and pushed him away and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? A few verses down, Stephen says, This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one whom God sent 
to be both ruler and deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Like with Joseph, Stephen says, so as with Moses. And then again, so as well eventually with Jesus. And in John 1, verse 11, Jesus, the prophesied one, came to what was his own and those who were his own did not receive him. Just like with the other deliverers who merely served as a copy and shadow of the true deliverer, the God-man himself, the once-for-all sacrifice, rejected by men, yet choice and precious in the sight of God, he was yet rejected. In Luke 19, his citizens, Jesus' citizens cry out and say, we do not want this man to reign over us. In John 19, 15, the same rejectors cry out and say, away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Like with Jesus, so it was with Moses. And so now back to Joseph, starting this morning in Genesis 37, verse 18, Joseph shows up in Dothan, faithfully doing the will of his father, ultimately on a pathway of rescue. But for the moment, he's, he's checking to make sure his father's stewards were being productive with what he'd entrusted to them. So he was, as he was approaching Dothan, Joseph's brethren saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. So now come, let us kill him and cast him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. You remember from Isaiah 53, the, the narrative of the Christ. In verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. In this specific passage this morning, through all the trials that he walks through, from the time he leaves Shechem through the pit in Dothan and on to his being sold into slavery to Potiphar, Joseph in this passage isn't recorded as to be saying anything. Knowing the promise of God through his great-grandfather Abraham and knowing the revelation of God through his dreams, confident of the unfolding plan of God's coming rescue, he moves through the unfolding events of his life knowing that he who promised is faithful. Like the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, afflictions bring about perseverance, leading to hope. Hebrews 5.8 says of the Savior, he says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Certainly Joseph isn't the son of God, but, but instead his afflictions, his hardships, and his, his trials were working to transform him into the image of God. And that transformation brings glory to our great God for all the world to see. And by the way, kids on your study guides, you might note that, that perseverance is produced in our walking through really hard things. Tribulations and afflictions as we move into the text, as we, we've seen already, brothers, the, Joseph's brothers were the source of his afflictions. 
again from verse 18, they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Before he even arrives, Joseph's brothers in their bitterness have premeditated a plan for his demise. They say, here comes this dreamer. So now let us kill him and cast him into one of the pits and and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Let us see what will become of this dreamer, of his dreams. I wonder maybe some of us here this morning as you look into the text of this passage, you can maybe relate better with the brothers than we can with Joseph. Maybe like I have been, you're someone this morning like them, mastered by your bitterness. Maybe you're willing to, to do anything to satisfy the monster of your bitterness. Your, your conscience is completely seared. You, you dwell on the wrong things done to you. As you look at this passage, you can see that demonstrated in the brother's You stew over the things that have been perpetrated against you, no matter what he says, no matter what she says in our relationship, even if they got down to the ground and bowed down before you and groveled before you in complete submission with sorrow and tears, the monster of your bitterness would still be raging. You might even say you're you're groveling wrong. Is that really groveling like the Bible says you should be groveling? Have you ever said something like that against somebody? Until you grovel according to my definition of groveling, I won't get off my monster. You devise plans, you manipulate your image, you create circumstances that incriminate the other person, either in your own heart or in the eyes of others, because you're mastered by bitterness like Joseph's brothers. You're willing to do anything to satisfy your hungry monster. I wonder in our passage this morning, what what, what could Joseph have said to change the hearts of his brethren as he's faithfully serving his father's will? Later, kind of in the spirit of what Stephen was saying in Matthew 26, as Jesus is headed to the cross, he says to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be delivered over for crucifixion. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. Jesus was voluntarily, knowingly, laying down his life for his sheep. I wonder if Joseph knew what he was walking into as he approached Dothan. Later, Moses in the law, he would say, if a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him by deceit, you shall take him even from my altar that he may die. God takes this seriously. This isn't looking good for Joseph. He's, he's walking away from Shechem toward a, an appointment with death in Dothan. I, I wonder what was going through a, a, his mind. 
What goes through your mind as, as you're heading towards something hard in your life? Maybe a difficult conversation. Joseph was astute. He could see what was going on in the relationship that he had with his brothers. But you know what? He's looking at his life and reading through these passages in Genesis, you can see that his confidence in God nevertheless kept his feet moving forward. Between the first bad report that he brought back to his dad and, and their response to that, and plus the dreams and their sinful response to that, now he's headed to find them again, and, and they're not where they said, said they were, what they were, they were supposed to be. So it's already awkward, plus it's another 15 or 20 miles. His brothers see him at a distance in Dothan. And we can see in our passage the, the plan for killing Joseph wasn't digesting real well with, with Reuben, Joseph's oldest brother, the brother who, who'd take responsibility, perhaps in the occasion that his dad wasn't around. He was the firstborn under Leah. In verse 21, the passage continues, and look down at your Bibles. It says, uh, but Reuben heard this about their plan to kill Joseph and, and delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not strike down his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood. Cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not put forth your hand against him that he might deliver him out of their hands to return him to their father. By the providence of God, because of the plan for deliverance, God had ordained through Joseph, Reuben had a heart for some reason to return his brother to his father at this time, to keep him alive. Maybe we can see Reuben's heart orientation from Proverbs 1 where Solomon writes and says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not be willing. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. My son, he continues later, he says, Do not walk in the way with them, withhold your feet from their pathway, for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. In rejecting God's plan for their rescue, these men were being ignorant fools who despise wisdom and discipline. Also Proverbs 1. Maybe Reuben was muddied. Maybe he was a muddied voice of wisdom as Joseph approached Dothan. And, and he was still good with throwing Joseph into a pit, by the way. But he ultimately just didn't want him to... To die, he wanted to be able to bring him back to dad, the text says. Back to our text, verse 23, it says, Now it happened when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored or ornamented, in other words, tunic that was on him, and they took him and cast him into the pit. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Amen? Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal and they lifted up their eyes and saw and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh going to bring them down to Egypt. You can see here the very first thing that they did, that the brothers did when Joseph showed up is they stripped him of his authority. 
They stripped off kind of the uniform that Jacob had in love given Joseph, the very colored tunic, the, a symbol of his dad's love, and also a symbol of the responsibilities that he had assigned to Joseph. It was the first thing his brothers did. They rejected his authority. They stripped him of it. They couldn't stand to see him with it. They would have to, they would have to take care of business so that they would not have this man rule over him them. Of course, as Stephen and Acts has already noted this morning, so like with Joseph, so like with Jesus, foreshadowed in Joseph, as Jesus was crucified, headed toward the pit of his death for us to fulfill Psalm 22, his crucifiers stripped him of his clothing and handed them out among themselves. I was also thinking in this Joseph passage, how it is that the first thing that unbelievers do is they attempt to strip the word of God of all his authority. Whether it's the spirit of Antichrist in the first century claiming that the, that the Messiah hadn't come in the flesh, or, or someone today denying the inerrancy or the infallibility or sufficiency or authority of scripture or a cult member down the street somewhere falsely reducing Jesus to becoming some sort of created being instead of our glorious creator, the word of and son of God. Joseph's brethren here in Genesis 37, they, they betrayed their brother, they stripped him, they cast him into a pit and sat down to have some dinner. They were acting like Cain against his brother, jealous and willing to take action. Again, as they sat down to eat the meal, they lifted up their eyes and saw, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites were on the way, coming from Gilead, and their camels being, uh, bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh and going to bring them down to Egypt. Guys, God's faithful to his plan. The word spoken to Joseph through his dreams is infallible. It will accomplish what God ordained it to accomplish. And, and in this case, the sovereign God ordained circumstances to cause Joseph to be taken, to, to be given a ride down to Egypt. Famine is coming and the rescuer, the deliverer is in a pit. Joseph must be raised up out of this pit and he has to be alive to deliver his people, all those unknowingly relying on him for life. So here come the Ishmaelites, distant cousins in a sense. Judas, thank God for relatives, by the way. <laughs> Judas said to his brothers, what gain is it that we, that we kill our brother? And cover up his blood. And come, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands, our hands on him. For he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened. Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They brought Joseph into Egypt. By the way, I think these Ishmaelites are kind of the broader category of people and the Midianites are kind of a subgroup within that group of people. And Anyway, these people headed down to Egypt to make some money. They were headed down to get some profit and a, and a God-ordained opportunity crossed their pathway. 
So the brothers, still wanting Joseph gone, but now by someone else's hands, they don't want blood on their own hands. That should sound familiar to you. And at the same time, Judas says, what gain is it that we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Notice he says, what gain is it for us? AKA, why don't we put this in someone else's hands so we're not the guilty ones and we can make some money while we're at it? Of course, we don't know his heart other than what the text has been saying. All we know is that Joseph's brothers hate Joseph. And most of them want him dead. But when there's some money to be made and some gain to be had, we're going to be flexible. So the plan for Joseph's demise started to change, and they were going to uh, let the slave traders do the dirty work for him so they could have some plausible deniability, possibly. Like Paul later, Joseph was going to be a slave of God now in chains. Because in the bigger picture, what the brothers meant for evil, we know God was going to carry out for their and everyone else's good, don't we? Want to listen to the law again? What that would come later under the Mosaic Covenant, where there would be where sin would become transgression. Exodus twenty one sixteen. He who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Listen to the heart of God here. Again, later Moses in Deuteronomy, if a man is caught kidnapping any of his brothers of the sons of Israel and he mistreats him or sells him, then that thief shall die. You shall purge the evil from among you. Isn't it interesting to hear the heart of God after the fact, after this happens? Obviously, that directly relates to what's happening with Joseph and his brothers. God doesn't like this kind of thing. But it also relates to Jesus. It, but instead of Midianites doing the dirty work, it was Judas and Pilate. So chief priests could, could say they had clean hands. And we've already seen from the law that that wouldn't work. You're still guilty. And back in verse 28, Joseph's brothers sold him to the slave traders for 20 shekels of silver. It's kind of thought that that came from the law of vows, still in their future again. Or, or at least pointed to that in Leviticus 27.5, a 17-year-old male like Joseph would be valued at 20 shekels. As you can see it from Leviticus 27, if it be from, from five years even to 20 years, Joseph was about 17, your valuation for the male shekel shall be 20 shekels um, for that purchase price. Joseph, doing his father's will, betrayed by his brethren for 20 shekels of silver. Jesus, betrayed by his brethren for the price of a slave, 30 shekels. Joseph had to be raised up from the pit, and the sale was God's means of doing that. By the way, the ESV study Bible notes that in verse 20, that Joseph, who is to be the key deliverer of God's people, has a scrape with death and is finally glorified, foreshadowing the suffering and glorification of Christ, the final deliverer. I love connecting Scripture with Scripture. Back to our text in verse 29, Then Reuben, the 
the brother trying to get Joseph back home, he returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his garments, and then he returned to his brothers and said, the boy's not there. As for me, where am I to go? I was thinking it'd be good to stop here just for a minute and think about Reuben, about his heart. It's, it seems like he's been taken at least a couple of steps for the interests of Joseph up till now. But possibly here, when you look closely, you can see a little bit deeper motive. And maybe we can see that he's taking steps maybe to help himself. His deeper concern was himself. He says, as for me, where am I to go? Maybe he's messed up his relationship with his dad and he wanted it back. And he knew this thing with Joseph was not going to turn out well in that sense. He wanted the place, maybe he wanted the place of authority back in the family. Because after all, he'd kind of lost the firstborn status when he sinned with Bilhah, his father's concubine. He was in a bad position with his dad. And he's probably been thinking all along with this in the back of his mind, especially since Joseph had been kind of moved into his place of authority. Reuben wanted something back. He wanted to regain something that he'd lost because of his sin. Have you ever done that? You you wanted to regain something that you lost because of your sin. Maybe you had a regret. Instead of the sin being the terrible thing in your eyes, an affront to the living God, you're more worried about the personal cost of it. Maybe instead of sin being heinous, what's more heinous is what you've lost. What do I mean by that? Okay, you've been looking at pornography for years. Maybe everything seemed fine, until the day you got caught. And now your marriage, or maybe it's even your job, is a huge mess. It's not that you really care so much about the sin necessarily, or lusting over these images or videos. Maybe you're even thinking in your own mind, who does it hurt anyway? What's the big deal? But now there's a consequence in your life the loss of this peace in your home or, or, your, or your job, you can't stand it. It's, it's affected you greatly. Yet the truth of sinning against God and your wife doesn't even track with you. Like Reuben, maybe you might think, I'm, con- I'm inconvenienced by other people's response to my sin. I, I, want, I just want my life, to, my, my life to change back to the way it was. I, I just want my wife to stop being mad at me. I want my comfort back. I want my privileges back. I, I just want my life back. So I'll go ahead with, and I'll cooperate with whatever you guys want me to walk through. You might even commit to coming to church for a time without complaining for once. Maybe you just, just if, if you could possibly just get back what you'd lost. You might even agree to work through some biblical counseling so, you, so your wife will just calm down, so she'll believe you're working on this for the first time. 
And you're willing to, to do it for a time so you can have your privileges back. But the Lord knows your heart. And so does your wife. My goodness, you're in a one flesh relationship with her, the most profound relationship in all of creation, and you've sinned against her. Well, you were supposed to be washing her in the water of the word, the pure water. You were swimming around in a cesspool of sewage. And now the whole house smells. And more profoundly, you've sinned against the holy God who, what are you, you going to do about it? How are you going to deal with your sin? Judgment's hanging over your head like an avalanche. But you're still, your biggest concern is putting things back the way they before you got caught. Wanting that comfort back. You're still just wishing you hadn't gotten caught. I'm telling you, if this describes where you're at this morning, there's bigger problems in your life. You need the wrath of God appeased. You need Jesus, the deliverer, the one who will free you from the eternal penalty and from your slavery to sin all to his glory. Reuben, he wants his life back. So they took Joseph's tunic and and slaughtered, verse 31, a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their uh, father and said, we found this. (laughs) Please recognize it, whether it's your son's tunic or not. And he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces Jacob, the the deceiver of Isaac and the usurper of Esau's birthright, the same one who'd used a goatskin in partnership with his mom to deceive his dad, was here with his boys, with a goatskin as well, being deceived about Joseph. Jacob sinned against Esau. Reuben was complicit in sinning against Joseph. By the way, MacArthur notes that sin's punishment is often long delayed. Your sin will find you out. I was telling some friends lately about an engineering story I like to talk about. I was working on this uh, on-site sewer project for this house way up on one of the hills in in, um, the Coeur d'Alene area. And the property had all kinds of of rock just below the surface. So if you could scratch down a little bit and you'd find some rock. And, and then over here you might find some deeper soil and you don't even know where that goes as far as drainage goes. And so um, if, you, if you dug a hole in one place, the sewage that came from flushing your toilet wouldn't dissipate or wouldn't be treated right or it wouldn't go down. It would just um, stay just below the surface. And so uh, construction plans, they needed to be created and I was hired to do that, to, to be really specific about where these uh, trenches and the pumps and the laterals and things like that, the tanks would be placed. So, but if you, uh, if, like I said, if you just scratched a trench anywhere, after you flush the toilet enough times, you can imagine what would happen. 
you'd have bubbling crude everywhere. And I'm not talking about oil. So anyway, we got all these plans finished, and the owner got the building permit from Panhandle Health. And the day they started construction, I drive up to this construction site, and there's this excavator just digging away. But he's not digging in the right place. And so I jump up on his track, and I open the cab door, and I said, hey, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a septic system for this house. And I said, how do you... No, I said, do you have the construction plans? And he said... I didn't even know there were construction plans. And so this guy, he was on track for having bubbling crude everywhere. And I can't imagine that the neighbors would like to have it flowing across his yard down to the next yard. He got a copy of construction plans pretty quickly. (laughs) Guys, Jacob and his sons, Joseph's brothers, they had bubbling crude all over their lives. Joseph's brother's hands were messy. Envy, bitterness, deceit, murderous intentions revealed as deeds of the flesh like we can see described in the New Testament, disregarding God's construction plans revealed through Joseph's dreams. Famine was on the way. God took what what could have been the stewardship of rescue out of their hands and put it in the hands of Egypt with Joseph soon at the helm, fueled by the promises of God, walking based on the hope he had in his great God, persevering through all the evil of his brothers. He didn't waver. He entrusted himself to he who is faithful to perform all he says he will do. That's what Joseph was doing. Joseph was on a one-way trip to Egypt to deliver a family of deceivers from the repercussions of their own sin and preserve the line of descendants leading to the Redeemer who would deliver us from ours. What a wonderful God. Back to our text, verse 34. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in uh, Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Joseph arrives. Joseph was dead to his father, but we know that he would come back to life. Jacob loves Joseph so much, he can't even imagine that he'll ever stop grieving. In fact, he refused to be comforted. When when you love someone, it would be almost robbery to take away that grief. It almost feels like you're, you're feeling them through it. But comfort was on the way. Joy was on the horizon. But hardship's going to come first. Jacob and his boys are going to be humbled so they can can receive the rescue that they're going to need. Thinking about Jacob and his sons, maybe you would agree that most of us have aspects of our lives with the scent of bubbling crude still perfuming the air around us from our unclean hands. 
residual sin even after our new birth. Guys, I, I want to encourage you today. Just like I've mentioned, there is a greater Joseph. There's a king over a greater dominion than Egypt. You don't have to stand far off. You, you don't have to avoid church or, or disappear from your Christian friendships and the relationships. You just bring your sin to Jesus. That's what you do. 1 John 1, nine promises, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gladly washes you. He, he gladly works to change you because in Christ, his image is being restored in you. Or maybe deeper still, like, like with Joseph's brothers, have you... Have you rejected God's rescue? You don't need it. You, you, you won't have this man rule over you. Away with him. Crucify him. Maybe you don't need the crutch. You're a self-made man or, or woman. You'll put up with this for your wife just to keep the peace, but don't need it. Maybe... You grew up in the church and have never loved him from your heart. From the depth of your soul, you've never really communed with him. Everything's been external. You listen to the words of these songs. You even sing to look like everyone else, but you never worship him. You're lost. Even though you're right where you intend to be, You've got bubbling crude dripping all over the place right where you're sitting this morning. But you're convinced you're clean. Maybe your charade of religion is your form of having a deceptive tunic dipped in goat's blood like Joseph's brothers. They wanted everyone to think they were innocent, but they knew they were guilty. Do you know that you're guilty? Listen, guys, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In a sense, we're all Joseph's brothers. Like all of us, you're all part of the all who have sinned. But, but listen, there's a greater Joseph for you too. Instead of a very colored tunic, he's clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest. He has a golden sash and his head and his hair are white like wool, like snow in his eyes or like a flame of fire. He can pierce deep within your heart. His feet are like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he has seven stars and and a sharp two-edged sword comes out of his mouth and his face is like the sun shining in its brilliance. And people sitting around you this morning have fallen down at his feet like dead men as they've repented and believed his glorious gospel. Why don't you? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your redemption, my friend, with bubbling crude spilling everywhere, is all based on his mercy towards you and his loving grace. Please, immediately where you sit right now, if this is you, confess your sin and cry out to him for mercy, and you will find redemption. You'll find the forgiveness of your sins. Even this morning, the spirit and the bride sitting around you say, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to receive the water of life without cost come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so blessed by your word. We love you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our King and Savior. We thank you for the Redeemer, the Deliverer. We thank you for the picture of all that in Joseph's life. But yet we thank you, Lord, for the ultimate reality of those things in our Jesus. In his name we pray.